And we're going to read perhaps what is one of the most famous songs within Scripture. It's quite a bold statement to make, isn't it? So we're looking at Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. And I guess, although it's Mary's song, this is what she said. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Holy One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We're going to look at this uh, hymn together now, and I would at least like to put it into uh, its, its context as we pursue uh, the theme of Advent, and part of it, this uh, Thinking Sunday by Sunday, is our own preparation of heart and mind as well. So we're focusing on Luke's uh, account of these events that are linked with the birth of Jesus, and now we have Mary's response. You need to see it like that. It's, it's her response. It's uh, not taken from the Latin, the Magnificat. Uh, I, I was reading, uh, a friend of mine's a school teacher, and he kept uh, um, a list of the unusual uh, responses of children to questions that were asked in preparation for the GCSEs. And one question uh, was, uh, in general knowledge, what did Mary uh, sing in response to the birth of Jesus? And he wrote, Mary sang the Magna Carta. So, yeah, it's good. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Anyway, it's the Magnificat from what we're saying is to magnify, to exalt, to glorify the Lord. I don't know if you've got any uh, points for that. Probably not, but it's a good try, isn't it? The Magnificat is sung frequently um, in, in, in most churches as part of the regular worship because it seems to encapsulate so much. Mary's great desire essentially was, hence the Magnificat, to magnify the Lord, to rejoice in Him. Uh, it would be useful if it comes up before you now what is the, the chronology um, it's perhaps not the best light. I don't know if you can... Yes, that, you can manage that. Um, okay, just 
let me go through it very quickly so that you, you can um, put this in context. First of all, the angels visit uh, with Zacharias and a very um, fearful experience that was. And then subsequently, Elizabeth's conception. Then the angels visit with Mary and Mary's conception, quite unique and fearful for her, as we shall see. Mary's visit with Joseph. What an encounter that must have been. Would you have believed Mary if you didn't know the real story? I wonder. And Joseph's initial reaction as it unfolds. Then this very fruitful time, and this, the, it's, it's quite salutary, isn't it? Um, if, if we as people are blessed to have mature believers to whom we can go, rather than to be isolated and on our own. It's a very powerful thing, perhaps even as a society, we've lost this idea of extended family and friends uh, where we can go and ask advice and, and in, in many cases ask for prayer. Uh, so that was a fruitful time that uh, Mary had with Elizabeth. And then Joseph's dream and his resolve of what he's going to do. Joseph and Mary, uh, a quick wedding, and then the birth of Jesus. There it is. So those are the uh, events as they unfold. What I want us to do now is to look at this song as it fits into that whole drama of uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus. It, is, it, it, it should come as no surprise to us, first of all, that, that Mary's initial response, look in verse 29 of Luke chapter 1, her response was, she is troubled. No, she is greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. This is a big issue. And the implications for a family, socially, are enormous. So when we think of the Magnificat, the backdrop to it is massive emotional trauma. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered, what kind of greeting can this be indeed? You can't minimize that, particularly as Christmas has been overlaid and embellished with all um, the, the commercial side and, and all that it represents. In, stripped of all of that, this is big trouble. This is big trouble. And in verse 30, it's linked that she's greatly troubled and she's afraid, fear, gripped with fear. And then in verse 34, you see that she's bewildered. What bewilderment? <laughs> How will this be? How can it be? Since I'm a virgin. These things do not happen. That is big time bewilderment, isn't it? Now, now get into that. Otherwise, you miss the, the, the sheer wonder, the profundity of the Magnificat itself. And then, how long did this process take place? We don't know. But finally, you see in verse um, 38 that she comes to this position and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You don't say those things lightly. 
If you say them superficially, probably nothing's going to happen. And, and if you put together greatly troubled, fearful, bewildered, and then finally accepting, it may give us an idea that when we sing the Magnificat, we realize the backdrop to it. Now, so many things she could not understand. And you and I, in our lives, we're going to have to come to terms with that. There are events that happen to us or to other people, and we do not understand that. And it may be this side of heaven you won't. What are you going to do? Well, you may be troubled, afraid, bewildered, accepting. Well, that's the application, isn't it? It's not wrong to do that, to draw those parallels. Because we live in, in a broken world, a fractured world, and we ourselves are sinful, broken lives, fractured lives and relationships. So, these things are taking place with Mary. And apart from, and this is not being simplistic now, so how do you do that? How do you make the progression from, from deep trouble to a settled peace? How do you do that? Well, it, I don't think it's being simplistic to say it is, in the end, faith in God. Faith in God. If you don't, you can sing the Magnificat. But you won't enter into the sheer glory and the, and the wonder of it. You may even get stuck. You may withhold uh, service to your fellow believer, to the church, to the Lord. You may get embittered and resentful. Do you see the point? That's, in a way, if, that, if there were nothing else, that is the application because she, Mary didn't just sit down and think, oh, I feel inspiration coming on. I'm going to write a song, we'll sing it at the X Factor. It's that type of thing. It's just quite ridiculous, isn't it? This is something that is so much a part of her faith, her confidence, her trust in God that is never done in a vacuum. It's not vacuous in that sense, empty, but full of faith and confidence in a world that is broken. So, like Mary, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to trust. Trust even when we don't get the answers that we would want. When it might ache inside us, we have to trust. Trust in the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And, and secondly, interestingly, we need to talk. If we can trust in the Lord and talk to a confidant, do you have a mature person, an Elizabeth, if you like, like the, the great Apostle Paul who had a, a, a Barnabas and a Timothy, two generations? We don't talk enough to each other. We talk too much about each other. We need to trust in the Lord himself and a living faith whereby we can say, my soul glorifies the Lord and it's marvelous. And talk to a confidant. And so, the end, at verse 56, as the Magnificat comes to an end, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. Then she returned home. What, what time was that? How formative was that? And none of our lives are, we're not an island, as people say. 
and how we can help and stimulate and encourage one another. Well, very quickly then, in this Magnificat, we, we have at least three attributes of God. Just let's look at them as it unfolds. Now we look at the song. And the idea isn't just to analyze it, so that, but, but to try to enter into the spirit of it and look at its substance uh, and its impact in our lives. First of all, the majesty of God. You see in verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now that's, that's quite significant. How can I have a child outside of marriage? Surely that's a bad thing. He has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It's not a contradiction. Holy is his name. The majesty of God. And you notice that Mary rejoiced, and it's worth saying this, uh, uh, in God, her Saviour. You'll know that some churches deify Mary. Uh, She's the, she the Queen of Heaven. And pray to her. Some sectors of the church marginalize her almost to the point of despising her. She says, I rejoice in God, my Saviour. She would want us to know that. Take her advice. The majesty of God, realizing the need of forgiveness. And if she did, so do we. See, central to this idea of the majesty of God is not the sinlessness of Mary as such, but the sovereignty and the majesty of God. That's the point. Stay with her like that. Holy is his name. In this context, of an unwanted baby, initially. Sometimes we sanitize these things, don't we? It's very human. It's innate. It's deep and profound. It's not the sinlessness of Mary, but the sovereignty and majesty of God. She rejoices in God her saviour. Interesting to, if we were to break down the song, and we're not going to, but if we were, you'd be able to trace the Psalms and the prophets and how, and this is perhaps something for us in an age where we don't memorise scripture like a previous generation. The way that Paul says to the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's exactly what Mary was doing here in the Magnificat. So let's get its roots. It's the only cross-reference we have very quickly. If you turn to uh, 1 Samuel, just to see how she was able to compose this song. Just this one reference giving its root, roots. Uh, and it's page 271 in your Bible. 1 Samuel, chapter 2. And this is Hannah's prayer. Context is quite similar. Interestingly, just to pause, just to, just to have an idea where, this is, where we're coming from, um, many of the commentators would say that actually Hannah borrowed it from Miriam after the great exodus of the children of Israel. Now, it tells us something how we use our Bible. Um, um, Mary borrows it from Hannah. Hannah borrows it from Miriam. 
And, and, the, and with Miriam, it was the tambourine and dancing, and this might be a bit more sedate here in the temple. But the point is, it, it's worship in the Spirit, taking God's Word and thanking Him for His intervention in our lives. So, what is the prayer? Well, let me just read it to you. Uh, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, and try now, just concentrate on this, to see the part that Mary has borrowed. And, and the context is so different, but the truth is the same. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn, my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. And notice the series of contrasts. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. Poverty has come upon them, a need. Those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, the symbol of perfection. But she who had many sons pines away. And you see the tables being turned all the time, series of contrasts. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts and so on. Do you see it? So what does she do? She's meditating on that. God is doing something new in her life. She produces the Magnificat. We are here today. It's a different generation of different issues. God is the same. And ultimately, we'll be able to make the connection with God who does all things new. Mary talks. Then she turns, talks to a confidant, meditates about it. How good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And out of it, this psalm of praise. Secondly, the power of God. The power of God. Look at verse, come back to, and we'll stay now for the rest of our time in, in Luke chapter 1 so that you can see it for yourself. The power of God. Verse 49. For the mighty one, the sovereign Lord, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And then verse 51. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Don't forget, they're under the yoke of Rome and it's oppressive and it's hard. And, and, and the Jewish people are crushed. But she sees the power of God and she sees the tables being turned. And we need to see like that. What do you see? What is our perspective when we think about our lives? He is holy. He is righteous. He's the sovereign Lord. Now, let me pose a question then. That's the sort of thing you would expect to hear in a sermon and you'd expect to hear in church. But wait a minute. Uh, what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? He has scattered the proud. Well, one of the things about the gospel coming to us is this. It does two things. It exalts, it magnifies the Lord, and it humbles us. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's the only conclusion you can come to. Why should this mighty, sovereign, powerful Lord save me? 
Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What have I got to be proud of? And if, you, if, if that's you in your inmost thought, nobody else but you, then before you come to this table, repent of that. Get rid of that. God resists the proud. He does. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you. He scatters the proud. That's the implication. Secondly, look at verse 52. He brings down and he lifts up. That's what he does. The tables turn. And in verse 53, he fills the empty and he empties the full. How have you come today? How have we come? Are we sufficient? Self-sufficient? We're okay? Are we full? Are we successful? And everything's okay? Or are we coming in a spirit of true humility? That we are empty, asking the Lord to fill us. That we are needy and asking the Lord to meet us. Do you see the difference? That's, that's where the Magnificat impacts us and comes to us. Like the hymn writer, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. That's us. He scatters the proud, he brings down and he lifts up. He fills the empty, he empties the full. Never forget this as well. All that we have today and all that we are this morning is the grace of God. Now, I know you can't tell that to the world. And I know that we love to put people on pedestals, you know, think of all this business with Tiger Wood, and then criticize and knock people off because it makes us feel good. But all that we have, if people really lived like that, what a difference it would make. My health, my degree of wealth are in God's hands. He fills the empty. He empties the full. He turns the tables. He's like that. That's why a previous generation always used to um, say, we're going to make plans, we can do this and so on. And then they would always put a, 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 something like a DV. God willing. Whatever my plans, wherever I am in my life, at any given time, I, I, I don't know what's, what's ahead of us. God knows, well, we trust him. These are my plans, God willing. This is my life now, thank him. And lastly, the, the mercy of God. And this is how perhaps God really connects with us and comes to us. Look, look in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. And this is us today, isn't it? From generation to generation, even our generation, here we are, sitting in church. His mercy extends to us at this very moment. His grace, this undeserved favor of God. His mercy. And in case we haven't quite got the message again, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. What is this idea to Abraham and his descendants? Do you remember God testing the faith of Abraham and saying, take your son, your only son, sacrifice him for me, then I will know that your faith is real. And uh, that moment when the dagger is held 
the Lord intervenes. God will provide himself a lamb. And that's the mercy of God. And the promise to Abraham that all the generations will be blessed through him. And here is Mary. It's not just a little patchwork thing, is it? It's the continuity of grace throughout the generations. And sadly, although we resist God's word and we grieve his spirit and we refuse his love, he remembers mercy. What a thing that is. He remembers mercy. He will keep his word. That's what the Magnificat tells us. He will keep his word. He will provide himself a sacrifice. He will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And God is still merciful. He is still merciful. He's merciful to who? Well, verse 51, to the helpless. How, how can he be merciful to the self-sufficient sufficient people who've got everything, who don't need God? But God is actually an intrusion on their lives, their lifestyle. He's merciful to the helpless. He's still merciful to the humble. Or maybe he has to humble us in order to be merciful to us. And he's merciful to the hungry. Do you see it? I hope God is merciful to you today. To the helpless, to the humble, to the hungry. So I give you this magnificent song. Mary's song. Rejoicing in God, her Saviour, as you need to rejoice in God, your Saviour. And just a little thing, as we come now to the Lord's table. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, you've probably sung, some of you will have sung this song for the last 50, 60 years or more, I'm sure. And if I'm stating the obvious, then you'll bear with me. It's this. Eight times... In this short little song, eight times, she records, He has, He has done, He lifts, He gives, He has. Isn't that amazing? And the title of the sermon is, Christmas is all about who is number one. Well, who is number one? It is Almighty God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And He has, eight times, Look at the things that he does and the things that he continues to do in our lives. We too must respond to God's active, merciful love. He is full of mercy, full of grace, full of forgiveness and he comes to us.